You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is July 1st, 2021. Today we'll be starting off a new book, Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, Chapter 1. I am actually off of work tonight. So uh, I work Saturday night through Thursday night, or well, through Friday mor- or Thursday morning. Anyway, so I am having a little bit of rest here. I'm pretty tired, but I got... A couple of hours. Well, I got a pretty good sleep today, actually. I'm just, my body's worn out after driving 2,500 miles, uh, you know, during the week. Uh, 
So, I mean, it is what it is. And that's part of the reason why I have such a hard time even coming on the program on Thursdays and Fridays. My son, Arius, is here, and I don't know what he wants. What do you want, Arius? Oh, okay. He's two years old, just barely two. Well, less than a month ago. What, Arius? Yep, I'm on a radio show. Anyway, uh, the chat room is open for anybody that wants to go there. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And what, Arius? Thank you. I have no idea what he's saying. He's telling me the same word over and over and over again. Anyway, but um, we're going to be reading the preface of uh, Holy Priesthood Volume 6 and Chapter 1, and I'll dedicate the program, and then we'll get right into the reading. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank thee, Father, for the opportunity to be able to go to a worldwide audience to share truths of the restored gospel. We love thee, Father, and we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the search of great treasure, what, Emmett? Oh, I said amen. Emmett. My microphone was up. Oh, okay. Um, hey, uh, can you tell Olivia that I asked her to plug in that cord, not throw it on the couch? Arius, I can't. I don't want it. And also, okay. Arius needs a diaper change. We actually just got home for the audience. And right as I sat down and opened up my tablet, I was able to get into the studio and unmute my line on the studio. So, uh it was kind of a rush, but uh, we just got back from Price because uh, we had some things we had to go do out there. Anyway, um, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827, and I figure I'll just take any calls that come in. Uh, so anytime you want to call in, just call in, uh, as long as they have to do with Mormonism, uh, and it would be even better if they had to do with the topic that we're talking about tonight. Anyway, um, after this reading, I would like if I can remember, to read you something, a little bonus feature. Uh, But I'll wait to the end of the reading for that. In Search of a Great Treasure, Chapter 1 of the Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, pages 1 through 11. Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, this is the preface. There never was a dispensation on the earth when prophets and apostles in inspiration, revelation, and power of God, the holy priesthood, and the keys of the kingdom were needed more than they are in this generation. Wilfred Woodruff, 1872, Journal of Discourses, Volume 15, page 8. A man never has half so much fuss to unlock a door that he has a key, as though he had not, and had it cut open with a jackknife. Joseph Smith, Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 308, dedication. Uh, To Gurney Cook, and I think Gurney's still alive, and this is Ogden Kraut um, basically thanking his friend for helping him with this book. To Gurney Cook, in appreciation for all his encouragement and assistance in the publication of this book and more for being my good friend 
preface. As children, most of us have played the game button, button, who's got the button? A similar question has been asked for over a century by serious students of Mormonism. Keys, keys, who's got the keys? For some, it is a rather humorous question, but others take it very seriously, resulting in confusion and conflict and occasionally even murder. So, Roland Allred, the guy that I was talking about last night, he was murdered over this this whole question. Um, Let's see here. Because of this strange quest for keys, there have arisen break-off groups Thank you. Oh, he wants me to open a thing for him. Emma, you have to come in and change his diaper. I don't know why we come home and find it that it is full. <sighs> we, we've only been gone for a couple of hours, and it was changed right before we left. So, anyway. Because of this strange question for keys, there have arisen break-off groups, churches, and self-proclaimed prophets, all of which have caused a varying degree of problems for the LDS church. Ironically, however, the basic cause of the, of the dilemma seems to stem from the main body of the Mormon church. For if leaders and members alike had not departed from many of the original laws, principles, and ordinances, Such a climate would not have been fostered for these questions and divisions in the first place. If all the leaders had followed their previous leaders, this problem would not have been created. With each departure from the original gospel as revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith, another swarm of doubting and questioning members and dissidents alike have arisen to challenge the changes. Like Paul Thorne in his side, the LDS Church has thousands of these little thorns causing them grief and embarrassment because of the numerous questions that they cannot satisfactorily answer. The whole issue of keys revolves around two central questions. Number one, what are the keys? And number two, who has them? Joseph Smith, in emphasizing the importance of correct answers to these questions, explained, quote, It is necessary to, hold, to know who holds the keys of power and who does not, or we may, likely be, we may be likely to be deceived. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 336. If this was, if this was a serious matter in his day, how much more important it is in ours. Maybe these questions wouldn't be quite so difficult to answer if there weren't so many different kinds of keys, but there is such a host of them that the subject has grown to a gigantic and sometimes even ridiculous proportions. Yet in reality, the answers may be surprisingly simple. By reading through the chapters of this book, the reader will hopefully be able to see this misty, uh, through this misty haze of bewilderment and misunderstanding and eventually realize the wondrous blessings and rewards that are associated with the keys of the priesthood. Chapter 1, Introduction. In Search of a Great Treasure. <clears throat> so we're reading Chapter 1 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6. And uh, for those of you who are following along, we're on page seven. Now, the the text 
to this reading is at various groups on Facebook and various pages on Facebook. But the easiest way to find all of my groups and all of my pages is to go to my, my main page. Um, the URL for that is facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S-1977. Now I have to say something to my son who decided to correct me last night as I was going into Sunnyside Deb and I could not respond. And he thinks he knows everything. But youtube.com forward slash user forward slash goddess my compass is my YouTube account. They don't use forward slash user forward slash whatever in Facebook. It's just facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S-1977. But he was trying to correct me, even though I know what my own URL is. Anyway, I have uh, 4,950-something friends on that page. But you can follow me if I have too many friends. And uh, I've got six or 700 followers on top of the the people who are friended have friended me. So because I am a public figure, I guess they give me more. So um, I know I, my little tangent. So Kim, are you on? Kim. She should be. She's unmuted. Uh huh. And I see her on the studio. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. Sorry. I'm trying. Oh. <laughs> so tell the people that uh, that app that I showed you today about, like you take a picture and you put it in <laughs> Facebook. So funny. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's going to show you what famous person you look like, and then his shows himself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it like it like it showed a public profile picture of myself, and Kim's all what? And I was like, <laughs> Kim, don't you know I'm a celebrity? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I don't, I don't feel like a celebrity, although I know that probably at least tens of thousands of people know who I am, if not more. But um, I just thought it was funny. I'm like, I did uh, I was okay. I was and it was like this completely different picture uh, of yeah. me that I uploaded, and then it showed a picture of actually Kim and uh, Kim and myself. That was one of my profile <laughs> pictures on my radio show, like my old radio show, The Kingdom of God or Nothing. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was, we both did. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> We're like, <Yeah>. really? <laughs> uh-huh. I guess so. I was like, yeah, but who else do I look like? A lot of people used to think I looked like John Candy, but uh, I think yeah. it's just because I was fat and, you know, and he's fat, and I think that was all that was about. Uh, I used to be way more fat than I am. Actually, when Kim and I got married, I was like a hundred and something pounds heavier. Like some of the old clothes, like when we first got married, like they're too big for me now. And it's mostly because <laughs> um, Kim got too sick to work, and when we first got married, she worked and I stayed home and took care of the house and the kids. Which was a yeah. nice break, but it only only lasted for a couple of months. And then um, she was pregnant, and she has something that yeah, uh, Harry Potter can't even. Seven months pregnant. 
And then yeah. at seven weeks pregnant, I stopped working. Because you have so a, a Harry so Potter. You have a Harry yeah. Potter disease. Why do you keep talking over me? What's, it's it, what's your Harry? <laughs> yep. And she, if she has a magic wand, you better watch out because she's a. That's a crazy spell. It makes you throw up all over the place. I guess. <laughs> I'm like, that's not a real word. I say it again, just just so I can hear it's it. Hypermesis gravidarium. Pretty sure that's not a real word, but she says it is. I trust her. So, anyway, <laughs> um, so I went work uh, as a truck driver over the run, and we lived in upstate New Hampshire, and there are no jobs up in upstate New Hampshire. So I got a job out of Brockton, Massachusetts, driving a, a FedEx truck. And I would only go home like once a week and sometimes once every two weeks. And then that guy on December 20th of 2012 was trying to pay me with a bad check. So it's right before Christmas. Kim has no food. I have no food. I have no way to get home. And he's trying to pay me with a bad check. So, uh, Long story short, they had to escort me from the premises there and because uh, I flipped out. I was working for a contractor for FedEx. And I got another job right away out of Hartford, Connecticut, doing uh, mostly Northeast Regional, which is FedEx for New York and Connecticut, Rhode Island, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, um, Pennsylvania, I don't know, all these states. Anyway, uh, and then I went, uh, then they gave me uh, runs doing team jobs, 48 states. So um, anyway, but at the time we didn't have a lot of money, and I would send my money back to Kim, and then Kim would give me $200 a week to live on out on the road, and it's expensive to live on the road. And it's more expensive for me because I'm like, well, I need a GPS. Well, I need a Bluetooth headset. Well, I need a CB radio. Well, I need this. Well, I need that. So anyway, long story short, I spent many years in the semi-truck with no money because I had to buy the things that I had to buy for my job. And I, we fueled up at Love's Truck Stops. And we, if you fuel up at Love's Truck Stops, you get points and free drinks and I used my points to buy hot dogs. So I would fuel up once a day, and I would buy some hot dogs, and I would live on the hot dogs, and I would try to, like, eat, like, peanut butter sandwiches or something. Anyway, but I lost a lot of weight um, as a family man driving an over-the-road truck. Now, when I was an over-the-road truck driver without a family, I'd make forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, and I didn't have to spend any money on anybody else but me, and it was kind of nice. But then I got married, and she required my paycheck, so I got skinny. I'm not skinny, but Kim, did you have anything to say about that? Because you're usually talking about that when I talk about that. Emmett, you do need to come in the house and change Arius's behind. Um. I already did. Like how? Like the argumentative or no? <laughs> I don't know. You always have something no, to say. How come well, I, that I didn't time even see you? Said it really well. <laughs> oh I'm yeah. Like usually I'm like she starved me to death. Yeah, he's a yeah. Usually he blames me for it or something. Yeah, but when we first night. got married, 
uh, hello, everybody. You asked me to talk and then talked over me. So when we first got married, um, I wasn't making very much money at all just um, as a teacher in New Hampshire. And I had to stop because of the pregnancy complications. And then we ended up coming out to visit family and getting stuck out here because of complications of pregnancy, which we seems to be fine. like a story when we left, of my life. Yeah. When we but left when New we, Hampshire, yeah. we went to the doctor. They were like, yeah, you're good to travel. Yeah. And Kim, we're just going to fly out. And Kim's like, uh, we need to bring the kids with us. So we ended up, instead of flying, <laughs> we ended up driving. And Arius, get down. What are you doing? He's standing. He says, I don't know. <laughs> He's going to tear down the curtains. I'm too tired to get up, so whatever. Anyway, um, Arius. Anyway, he's looking out the front window, and he's talking to some. He's talking to Emmett, I think. Uppy, what? I'm in the office. Uh, oh. Anyway, sorry, I'm just watching Arius and talking at the same time. So um, we were fine. So we drove, and God told me after the fact, like, the whole reason we drove out is because Kim got this feeling like we need to drive out with the kids. And it was good that we did. So we drove clear across the country in this, like, jalopy van, and God told us, told me to go rededicate several historical sites of the church. And, uh, and anyway, eventually we made it to Lyman, Colorado in a crazy blizzard, and uh, there was no room in the inn for my pregnant wife. Uh, so uh, church actually, um, we found, no, you can't go outside. I'm doing a radio show. I'm not taking you outside right now, okay? Kim, you want to tell them about that? I know that we're supposed to be reading about the keys, but I just kind of want to talk about that for a minute. Kim, the Church of Christ, no room in the inn, blizzard, yeah, um, in Colorado. The blizzard. Yeah, I tried to talk about the last thing, but then you just talk over me and then say your own story. So then I was like, okay, never mind. And I'm trying okay, to do the ghost myself. right now. Okay, mute yourself then. So uh, the first thing about talking about over-the-road stuff, Lydia, do you want to get in or no? Because I've got this open. Okay. Okay. So, sorry, I've got goats attacking the door. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Sorry. All right. This is so fun doing goats. Okay, so when I first, um, yeah, he told you about being first pregnant and stuff like that. But when we lived in Spanish Fork even, um, we, you know, could pay all our bills and stuff, but we didn't have two vehicles. So he would have to leave and go over the road, and I wouldn't have a vehicle for a while. So I would try to um, budget and the amount of money we had for him to eat. And the amount of money we had for me and the three kids to eat was the same amount of money for the same period of time. So he had just as much as the, the four of us did at home, me, uh, Lydia, Emmett, and Eliza at the time. It was just what we had. So that's what we had to do. When you're driving over the road, it's more expensive to eat. It's more, it's harder to, you know, find a place that a truck can pull in and get food there. And I could go to the store because I walked to the supermarket with my kids with the stroller. So that's what we and do. And they jack um, up. 
they yeah, jack, they jack up, up all the prices, prices on the road. It's ridiculous. Yep. Yeah. Remember we used to stop before you went and, and shove as much in that little tiny refrigerator you had in your truck? He got, like, this little tiny refrigerator inside the truck, and he would have, like, a heat box and whatever. So we would go to Costco and um, to get all a whole bunch of food that was on the truck for him to make it, like, better and uh, easier for him to eat while he was over the road, cheaper. So he would go with that type of food, too, because um, I would try to buy it in bulk so he could just take food, you know, from the house. So we did do that. But, yeah, he did lose a lot of weight. There was also the fact that the wife was like, you can't eat fried chicken and mashed potatoes all the time. It's not healthy for you. So I make, I made him eat green things, and he still hates kale. <laughs> so when uh... – when I, we first got married, what I was eating every morning, because I was a bachelor, <laughs> was yep. uh, I, I worked directional drilling for fiber optic, uh, fiber optic company in, uh, out of Clearwater, Florida. And after we'd get the truck, we'd go over to this place where we could park, and we would get a bucket of chicken and two 100-ounce mugs of half of it was fruit punch, and then a quarter lemonade and a quarter Sprite was my favorite. Anyway, so that's what I was eating and drinking every day. And when Kim finally went and bought a diabetic uh, tester, uh, what was my blood sugar, Kim? Like 970, I think it was 972. It's somewhere right in that. Yeah, and I was like, but I feel fine. Because that's just the way, that's just where my level was. And uh, if you know anything about me, uh, my history, you know that I cannot die until it's time for me to die. So I can have those extremely high levels of blood sugar and it affects me. But I was like, I feel fine because I was used to it. Anyway, but long story short, okay, so we're getting back to the other point. When we came... um yeah, we were going to the talk about that Church one other of thing Christ. that you told me to. Yeah. So when um, we were traveling out here, I was very pregnant, and we got stuck. Was it Lyman, Colorado? Is that right, Lyman? So we yeah, got stuck in a blizzard. They closed down miles. those. Uh, what are those things called? They closed down the, the gates of hell. Okay. Yeah, and nobody can go in or out. Okay, we hold on. There. They're called. The gates of hell, because if you, if they let them down after you have gone past them, you're in hell. Uh, what they are, for people that don't know, when there's areas where there's like crazy blizzards, they've got these huge gates that come down over the interstate and over the highway highways uh, with flashing lights and everything, and you have to go to whatever town it is that's there and hopefully find a place to be or just wait out in the car or whatever, and lots of people die from asphyxiation from the exhaust fumes. It's it's a bad mess. Anyway, so Interstate 70 was shut down because this blizzard was so crazy, and all of the hotel rooms and motel rooms were booked up in like two seconds. So that's why I joke that there was no room in, uh, for us in the there end. There anyway, before we got off the highway. That was the problem. Like, we were on the highway in in the blizzard because nobody could see anything so by the time we had made it to the next exit which was just i don't even know was like feet practically from us and everybody had to get off in the same exit because nobody could see 
anyways, and all of we stopped at all four places, and um, I think it was the third place that we stopped. They were like, nobody has any room anywhere right now, and then they said, if you go over to this church, was it a Methodist? If you go over to this church, then it they was the have, Church of Christ. And they were like, they have places for everybody to to be out of the weather, and they might have some something for you. And so. Kim, you are back by the goat house or something. Yeah, I am. Because yep. you're breaking up. So okay. I will well, tell the story until you get into okay, a better area. Okay. Anyway, so we get to this place called the Church of Christ. And when we walk in, they're like, oh, we've been waiting for you. And Kim's like, what? And she, uh, the lady says, well, we have these blizzards all the time. And every time there is always going to be a pregnant woman and we have a place for you. And so everybody else was sleeping in the pews and stuff, but they let us go into the nursery and they had cots in there for the whole family areas. You can't stand on the chair and drink the soda. Come here. You know, you have to get down. You're going to fall and not give me the soda. He's like, I want soda. (laughs) Soda. Anyway, so uh, so we had a place to sleep at the, uh, you know, we had something a little better than a, a cave in Bethlehem, which is uh, actually, it wasn't a stable that Jesus was born in, but it was a cave. But, um, yeah, it was just a really interesting experience. Anyway, so the next day, we're driving over Eisenhower Pass. Yeah, go ahead. So the, the nice thing was that they didn't just, um, let us stay there and, and the lady who was there she wasn't just like oh there you are we were waiting for you because she said there was always a pregnant woman every single yeah. storm so yeah then they did have them fresh in the nursery and everything so we had little cots and everything so we could be not sitting on the pews like everybody else was or sleeping on the pews because there was like a bunch of climbers or there's like groups of youth who are sleeping out in the in the chapel. Anyways, um, but not only that, but the lady there, I don't even remember her name, but I know what she looks like. I remember her face and her smile. And she she was like, I know that you must be feeling so tired and like worn out. And she's like, if you want, I only live a couple miles and we can go to my house and you can take a shower and get all clean. And I was like, are you serious? And she was like, yeah, and yes, she let I would us love all come over. That. Yeah, she let the whole we family come her. over and just go into her house. Like, I'm so sorry. It's such a mess. But you can get clean. And I was so thankful. I didn't even care, like, what the place looked like. I was so thankful to be able to go and take a shower and be clean, you know. And it was so generous of her, and I will never forget that. She was so sweet. Can you tell the audience what happened the day before the blizzard when we were in Nauvoo with the three different people in different places that knew who I was? Um, I remember this, this the before, waitress. This is, this is before my public ministry. The, the waitress, talk, talk about that So we quick. went out to eat at this little, like, mom and pop place, and it was really busy, but uh, we were sitting around this little round table, and we in had, yeah, we were going to order. I don't know if we had order. We were, like, in the middle of ordering, and the waitress was like, 
I know you. I know you from somewhere. I feel like I know your family. Uh, and, you know, and she was just like, I think I know who you are or something. It was really weird. And we were like, what? And then um, the same exact thing was, happened with two, oh, on, what were on, they, pioneers? On. Okay. Kim, that yeah. was in Carthage, Illinois. Yeah. But right before that happened, there was two other people, and I can't remember one, but I remember I remember it vaguely, but the other guy really – we went to this play in Nauvoo, and we were mm-hmm. sitting on the front row. And after the play, this elderly gentleman who was a uh, missionary for the LDS Church from Snowflake, Arizona, came down. Kim, do you remember that? I can't hear you anymore. I hope that you guys can hear me. He came down and he shook. Yeah, he grabbed I can hear me you, but hand. every time I, I go to talk, then you talk, and then I have to mute my phone, and then I unmute my phone because then you keep talking. So I'm just, okay. Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I'm just like I'm trying to direct what you're talking about a little bit. But the guy came down and he grabbed me by the hand with tears in my eyes and he says, I know exactly who you are. And he was so happy to see me on earth. Do you remember that? Kim, do you know how to use your headset to mute? Yes, I do. I don't have the headset on because that will just catch all of the noise also because I'm out here doing animals and the grills as you can hear them grilling. Okay, do you remember the the, the, the elderly gentleman that I was just talking about? I remember the two pioneer people. Is that who you're talking about? They were in that play. Yes, it was the play. We went to go to the the play and then you were talking to him. Yeah. Yeah. That's the ones I remember. Okay, what do you but remember? But you guys were about talking about it? stuff. Well, you guys were talking about things beforehand and just talking about um, what was it talking about? You were talking about the play itself and like the reenactment that they did. And then I don't know how the when... subject got on to um, the second coming or. Um, the one mighty and strong, but you guys started talking about that. And he had, I don't, you said you had tears in your eyes, but I thought he no, had he tears did. in his eyes. Oh, no. okay. Then I just misheard okay. you. So he was like He's... teared up and he was like crying, but there was a guy with him. There was two of them there. Plus if you didn't see the second guy, then I feel like I'm crazy. There was two of the pioneers <laughs> there. Right. Yes. And the one guy okay. immediately after the play was over with, he was standing up with the cast because they were all standing up on the stage. And yeah. he came directly down. And, and as I was standing up because the play was over, he came over and grabbed me by the hand. And with tears in his eyes, he said that he knew exactly who I was and that he was happy to see me in mortality. And then, and then we talked about uh, the second coming and the one might be in strong and all of that. But he was an elderly gentleman who was there at, on a mission in Nauvoo from Snowflake, Arizona. Oh, yeah, that was the missionary. So there was yes. the pioneers, and then there was the missionary, and there was the waitress. Oh, okay. I I don't know if I remember the pioneers then. 
I'd probably have to go look in my journal. But actually, I think you wrote about it in your journal. Yeah, I think I did was, too. The one with the black one with the little Paris thingies on it. Yeah, and actually, I think that was two days before the the blizzard because the day before the blizzard, um, God commanded me to go rededicate the temple lots in Independence, Missouri. And uh, remember, after I was done doing that, God said, now seal it up unto me. And I was like, how am I supposed to seal it up unto you? I Don't you have to have keys to do that? And I didn't know at the time that I had been given those keys because when God had his hands on my head, like I've said before, light was emanating from me and I was so distracted by the light that I wasn't listening to what he was saying. And then... Um, and then I told Kevin Kraut when we finally got out to Utah about the keys, and he's all, oh, I don't know, maybe I should give you my priesthood. So, so then I got um, Ogden, or Kevin Kraut's line of authority with Ogden and Joseph Musser, but that was like after God told me to seal it up. So I'd already been given the keys, and I was still questioning that. And then I was talking to joshua sparks about that and that's when he was taken up in the vision and he saw the father lay his hands on my head and give me the keys to the priesthood and to the kingdom which was what happened in 2003 but i was so distracted by all of the light emanating out of me from the father that i wasn't listening to what he was saying so that's when i found out that i had the keys and that was in 2013 but I was just thinking about that guy, the the actor, missionary guy, that he knew. Like, a lot of people know me, and they don't know why they know me, and it's really usually a spiritual type of remembering. But that guy said he knew exactly who I was, and he was overcome with joy and tears. And I remember Kim and I were like, Wow, because <laughs> usually that doesn't happen. And I was just wondering if you remembered about that circumstance that happened in 2013 with the missionary at Nauvoo. Anyway, uh, so, okay, what started this whole tangent? We came out to Utah to visit. We did not come out here to live. When we got out here, Kim had pregnancy complications. She was seven months pregnant or eight months pregnant. Anyway, the doctor said, uh, yeah, you can drive home if you want, but you can only drive for a half an hour and then you need to take an hour off. And then you can drive it. And then if there's any problems along the way, then you have to immediately go to a hospital. And we just decided that we were going to stay in Roosevelt with my friends who I worked with in the oil field because they had a house that was big enough for us to live there with them until the baby came. And then when the baby came, we decided that we were staying in Utah. So that's why we live out here. And I never went home. Um, Kim, after the baby was a little bit older, um, we'd been paying rent on this place in Lisbon, New Hampshire. Was that Lisbon or Littleton? Yep. It was, Lisbon. it was Lisbon. Yeah, and Emma was six at the time, so 
Well, no, you were seven. It was Lisbon without a D. Lisbon. Yeah. And it was yep. by Littleton in Franconia. Yep. 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 So we came out here, and I left my car at Hartford, Connecticut FedEx terminal because we were coming home, and I never yep. saw my car again because we never had enough money to go get it. But uh, we had. And if you look on Google uh, Maps. <laughs> yeah, that's how I I would like. There's my car that I can't go get on Google Google Maps. And I loved my car, but Kim did not like my car, but I loved my car. Kim didn't like my car because the transmission went out when I was in Boston uh, coming home. And it had issues. Anyway, but um, Kim and our friend, because I couldn't stop working because we needed money, uh, they they flew out with the baby, Eliza, who is now eight. What? I can't. Arius wants me to play with him. <laughs> anyway, um, they went out and got a U-Haul, a small U-Haul, and packed up some of our stuff and gave the rest to charity. And that's how we moved to Utah. Yes, you can have some. Here you go. You're welcome. Anyway, so we, we moved out to Spanish Fork and lived there for four years. Was it four years or three? And then God told that it was three because in 2016, God told me to move to Emory County and to warn people to leave the populated areas. So that's when we came down here. So anyway, yep, that's how we came out to Utah. All right. So sorry about that long tangent. I'm going to get back into the reading though. All right. Uh, Chapter 1, Introduction, The Search of Great Treasure, Chapter 1 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, pages 1 through 11. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Those seeking for a treasure spend time, effort, and means in order to secure that which is of great worth to them. To one person, something may be a real treasure while it is only insignificant to another because their values are different. The old adage is true that one man's treasure is another man's, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Jesus gave the following two examples of the value that we should place on the kingdom of heaven. Again, quote, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field in which when a man hath found, he hideth and for joy, the joy thereof and selleth all that he, may, that he hath and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. What's wrong? Oh, he stubbed his toe. You're okay. Emmett, can you please read? i got to take care of Arius. Come here, Arius. Emmett, here. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Um, where were we? <laughs> I knew you weren't reading along. Oh. I have the book open. Uh, 
we're 80% through with the reading for tonight. Um, okay. So. I think we're on page seven. Let me see here. Oh, we're on page t uh, 10 shortly, or very close to page 11. Okay. Huh? Okay. Didn't you just finish a quote? <sighs> Regretfully, there are too few who selected one of the greatest of all life's treasures. That's where we're at. We're right, right. We're right below Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 365. Okay. okay. <laughs> Regretfully, there were all too few who selected one of the greatest of all life's treasures, the gift of the holy priesthood and the keys thereof. Most have chosen to favor the treasures of Babylon. And it takes only a brief look around to see that they have re received a great following. Eleven. Although God has promised us great treasures of knowledge, even hidden treasures, DNC 89.19, we have been searching for them in all the wrong places. We will never find them in stocks, bonds, or federal notes. Even the elders of Israel seem to show more respect for Richmond than for spiritual ones. As Elder J, er, Elder J. Golden Kimball noted, <laughs> if I had a million dollars, I'd be the most sought-after man in the church. But I haven't got it. Damn it. Uh, J. Golden Kimball, Claude Richards, page 97. How strange that the world generally looks upon priesthood keys as an ignorant man looks at a diamond in the rough. As though it were just another rock. But a wise and spiritual man knows that the, key, the keys of the holy priesthood should be among the most sought-after and valued treasures in life. And that is the end of Chapter 1. Okay, so um, I will read the preview because Arius stubbed his toe and I gave him some loves for a little bit, and then he is fine now because I think he just wanted attention. He keeps bringing me, great bringing, he keeps bringing me toys and showing them to me. I'm like, oh, thanks, Arius. Um, real quick, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And we have the chat room available. It's up and running at this time. So anybody can, uh, you know, question. Hey, I just want to update for everybody on the air who, who probably doesn't want to know, um, but mostly for you, honey. So you know how we've been trying to catch snowballs? Yeah, I'm on the uh, radio show, caught, Amberly. We caught the black cat. In the live awesome. trap? Yeah, and he's like hissing at us, and we're like, yikes, I don't want to touch it. <laughs> okay, now we have a decision to make. Now, this black cat is pretty much astray, and we've been feeding it because we like cats on the farm because of mice. Field mice are ridiculous. But we have the cat now. Do you want to let it back out, or do you want to take it far, far away? <laughs> I know, and I'm like, I don't really want to touch the cat. He's kind of mean. He's hissing at us. He's black with green eyes. Ah, don't make noise. <laughs> <laughs> you need um, me to come save you from the kitty? The cat. Just, well, yeah, this cat is a stray wild cat who is impregnating, I'm pretty sure, our female uh, cats because he is a dominant. And the two boys, they don't like him. 
they're always fighting with each other. So uh, we'll figure it out after the radio show. He will be perfectly fine in there. He has food because that's why he went in there to begin with. And we'll figure out what to do with them after the show. <laughs> okay, that's what we'll do then. Yikes. Okay, um, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. We are taking questions about anything to do with Judaism, Christianity, or Mormonism. So, with that being said, Emma, did you say you wanted to read the preface of Chapter 2 or the preview of Chapter 2? It's only one page. Yes. It's page tw- uh, 12, I think. Yeah, it's page yeah. 12, Chapter 2. Okay, go ahead and read it, and then I'll mute myself. And then if we have callers, we'll take them. If we don't, we won't. So, And then after the pre- preview, if we don't have any callers, I'm going to read something else real quick. But go ahead, Emma. Okay, um, the cat just started sniffing the book. <laughs> um, chapter 2, A Definition of Keys. The power and authority of the higher and Melchizedek priesthood is to hold the keys of all the spiritual blessings of the church. BNC 107.18 To define the function of priesthood keys is very similar to defining the use of car keys. In both cases, they unlock something so it can be used. But before legitimately using these keys, the following questions should be answered. Who should use them? What vehicle are they for? When should they be used? And how should they be used? Uh... That comparison, or what's it called? Comparison is pretty funny. There are millions of keys that belong to houses, cars, offices, bank boxes, toolboxes, and the list goes on and on. Almost everything of value is protected with locks and keys. There are other related definitions for keys as well. For instance, a teacher may explain a key to speed reading. A policeman may say he just discovered the key to solving a crime. The Lord has said, This greater priesthood administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. DNC 84:19. And that is the end of page 12 and beginning of page 13. Anything to say? Nope. Uh, we don't have any callers, so I'm going to read uh, the Revelations that have been given to me and to, let's see here, Joshua Sparks. So we'll start with Joshua Sparks' revelation. So remember, audience, when I was talking about, um, I didn't, like, I was told to rededicate all of these uh, old, temp, uh, old uh, like, temple spots and church history spots and God asked me to do that on my way from New Hampshire, upstate New Hampshire, to Utah. And so, you know, we made our way across the country, and we did what, I did what I was commanded. And the last place that I was told to dedicate was the Independence Temple Lots, which are owned by G, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Community of Christ, and the Church of Christ. Uh which is the the Mormon Joseph Smith Church of Christ, not the other one. So anyway, so I rededicate each of these places, and we go to the museum, and we go to like the temple, uh, the RLDS temple, and 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 then I rededicate these places. Like I don't know, it was like eleven o'clock at night when 
when I finally was able to do that. And I finished doing what God told me to do, what he specifically told me to do. And then when I was done, he said, now seal it up unto me. And I thought, don't I have to have keys to do that? And I was like a little confused. But he said, seal it up unto me. So I was like, okay. So I raised both my hands in the air after the manner of the Melchizedek priesthood. And I said, by the authority given to me of the Father, I seal these things up. I don't remember exactly how I, I put it. And when I did that, like the spirit got really strong. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. Bring that to me. Why is that out of the car? This goes in the car, does not come in the house. Uh, I know mom told me. It's talking. It's talking cat language. Okay, I'm on the radio show. That's good. Walk away. Walk away. Amberly's trying to tell me what the black cat was saying because we caught a talking cat. He says no. He said no, like wow. That they're not supposed to bring in. I told Eliza to bring you that thing that we just got. Yeah, Amberly brought in the thing that goes in the uh, the center console in the car. Oh. No, but yeah, I confiscated it from her. Okay. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> Arius. No, no. Okay. okay. I'm going Sorry. to read this revelation okay. if it's the last thing I do. So when God told me to seal it up, I did as I was commanded, and it was the strangest experience because as I was doing it and finishing up, I felt like my spirit was floating up off the ground, and I knew my body was still on the ground, but it was a really amazing experience, which caused me even more confusion. So anyway, we came to Utah, and I introduced Kim to Kevin Kraut, and, uh, who I had met a couple months before that. So I think this was in March or April that we came out. Um, I got rebaptized in January, I think it was, of 2013 by Kevin because God told me to go to him to be rebaptized, to be rededicated to do the work that he has called me to do. So anyway, we go out, and I'm there with my family, and I'm like, Kevin, I don't understand. Like, God told me to do this, and I did it, and, it was so, and I explained everything to him. He says, well, I don't know what to think about it either. And then he says, maybe I should give you my line of priesthood authority. And I'm like, okay. So anyway, he gave me his uh, line of authority. So my fundamentalist line of authority goes from Kevin Kraut to Ogden Kraut to Joseph Musser and back to Jesus Christ. But I already had a line of authority which went through uh, um, yeah, he can't remember what his first name was. Christensen. This man was like 96 or 97 years old back in 97 when I received that line of authority. And he insisted. So I'm like, okay. So anyway, I had a I had a decent line of authority through the church, but Kevin wanted to give me his. All right. So now later on, I'm talking to um, Joshua Sparks, and I'm like, I don't know what this was, but this is what God told me to do. And as I was telling him, this is what he received. This is what he sent me. And I was actually talking to him on the phone. He lives in. Uh, 
someplace in Kentucky. Um, and we were in Utah, so I was over the phone. This revelation was given to my witness, Joshua Sparks, who was the other of the witnesses who saw in vision the Father give me the keys of authority of the priesthood and the kingdom that wheat might be gathered away from the tares and the chaff to begin the cleansing spoken of in section 112 and the setting in order spoken of in B&C section 185, uh, 185, not 185. Revelation to the Church of Jesus Christ. Revelation given to set the church in order and to establish the priesthood, namely the quorum of the First Presidency, the quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and the quorum of the Seventy Apostles, sent to the entire world as a witness of the love of God and as a warning of Christ's in return to this earth along with our Father in heaven. Behold, this day do I begin to communicate to thee by visions, by revelations, that ye may prophesy against mystery Babylon, whose mystery is being revealed, and the skirts raised to reveal her nakedness and the deceivableness of unrighteousness, which is in the hearts of all those who subscribe to her teachings. Here, Arius. Go away, Amberly. Be gone, child. Go help, Mom. I don't care. Go help mom. Stop interrupting me. So I'm never home at night because I work all the time and they all want my attention. So, which is another reason I don't like doing the radio shows on Thursdays and Fridays. All right, let's see here. And the skirts raised to reveal her nakedness and deceivableness of unrighteousness, which in the hearts of all those who subscribe to her teachings and to those who are born out of her bed and are not children of the married wife, but of a harlot. First revelation received, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, June 15th, 2013, in Ashland, Kentucky, USA. First one. As I was talking to Brother Mark concerning the keys of the priesthood and the kingdom of God, and as Mark was speaking about his vision of the Father in heaven, and the Father in heaven laying his hands upon his hands upon his head, I received the following revelation. Verse 2. I saw Mark kneeling down, and I saw the Heavenly Father holding his keys, holding keys in his hands, and heard Heavenly Father say these words to Mark. My son, behold, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of God and the priesthood, my son, as I gave them also to my servant's, uh, servant Peter. This I received from Heavenly Father, and I testify that it is true. The vision ended, and I told Mark what I had seen, and I, I then wrote down this divine communication from Heavenly Father. So as I was on the phone with him, a vision opened up before him, and he saw this and heard these things. And he told me right as soon as it was over with, what? No, I'm not turning the light off, Arius. I have a tyrant in the house. He is two years old, and he is telling me what to do. What are you doing? I don't know. Anyway, um, there's some other revelations that you can read. Uh, if you go to latterdaykingdom.webs.com and then go over to Revelations, you're going to see 
a whole bunch of revelations that I have. Arius, turn that light on. Don't you touch it. No. Why do you want to, why do you want the light to be off? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, that is like a drop in the buck compared to the revelations I have that those, um, a certain individual made that website and then he made it and then he forgot the password. So I have no way to change it. There are some things in that revelation, which were screwed up and, uh, I, I don't know, but most of it's right on the money and you can go read that revelation at Latter-day Visions, no, Latter-day Kingdom com. That's Latter-day Kingdom com. And uh, go to Revelations, and you're going to see a whole bunch of Revelations there. Joshua Sparks' Revelations are there, and there's other Revelations. Hey, 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 give me that. Don't you touch my candy, you kid. <laughs> Anyway, um, but I really don't feel like reading all of them tonight. But since we're talking about the keys of the kingdom and the keys of the priesthood, long story short, 95, the Father, or Jesus Christ takes me into the Salt Lake Temple. Uh, he brings me up to the Holy of Holies of the Father, which is on the eastern side of the temple, just under the angel Moroni and behind the uh, sign that says House of the Lord. If you look on the middle tower, on the north and the south sides of that tower, uh, there are there's a window on both sides. That is to let light into the Holy of Holies of the Father. The other Holy of Holies for the Son is just south of the Celestial Room. In fact, you have to be in the Celestial Room. There are, when every time I went in there, every time I went in there, there were big, huge vases in front of the door, so you could not get into that room. But if you look through the glass on the door, you can see into the anti-room. And if you look just to the right, you can see into the Holy of Holies for Jesus Christ. Most people don't know about that other Holy of Holies, but that's where I went to. And the Father told me, can you turn that down? Okay. Anyway, um, I think Kim just dropped off. But, what? Give it to Amberly. Anyway, in '95, God told me that I would be the last prophet before the return of Jesus Christ. I was a Baptist at the time. I was very anti-Mormon. I had been baptized in '87, I think, or '86, April of '86. But I was inactive and I had tried to get my name removed out of the church earlier that uh, that year before this happened and then that really confused me because I believed a bunch of anti-Mormon lies about the LDS church in 96 I met the missionaries had a conversion experience it was very powerful and God healed me and showed me the truth like I asked him to do and then in 97 I got my endowments out in the temple with my patriarchal blessing that says that I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow the gift of eternal life which means according to the patriarch and the state uh, the uh, state president I've had my calling and election made sure which really confused me because just the way my life has been, I'm like, why would I qualify for that? And what does it even mean? So I go on my mission. I come home. I drive a semi-truck for years and years. 
and I do all this missionary work all over the place, but I keep asking God about different questions. And one of them was, what does it mean to have your calling and election made sure? And why is that my patriarchal blessing? When I was taken up in 2003, it was in April of 2003, the father took me up to his temple at Mount Vashel. And I saw him face to face in the flesh. I embraced him in the flesh. I kneeled before him. He placed his hands upon my head, which caused light to emanate through me, which caused me not to be hearing what he was saying. And I think that was on purpose. And um, I saw Jesus Christ, and I embraced him. And we talked a lot. And uh, he told me that all that I have gone through in this life has been uh, he's allowed to happen to me for his wise purpose that I may be uh, molded into the servant that he needed me to be. Um, oh, sorry. The the chat room just went down. I don't know why. Anyway, um, so in 2003, that happens. Um, I'm like, why in the world was I able to embrace God the Father when even Joseph Smith hadn't even had that experience? Anyway, um, in 2012, I got called in to meet a stake president that I'd never met before, and he determined to excommunicate me for apostasy. I was not even allowed to go to my own trial. I was very upset about this, and in January of 2013, God told me to kneel before him and ask him who I was. Now, my aunt already knew who I was, and she tried to tell me, and I told her she was nuts, and there's no way, but I was even more than what my aunt had knew. My aunt knew I was one mighty and strong, but there was more than that. So the father comes to me and he says, kneel down before me and ask me who you are. And that, at that point, long story short, I saw the father descend in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was Lucifer, or Hillel, the bearer of light and truth. He, was re, uh, he rebelled, along with others who were mighty and strong. Uh, I was shown that there are 12 who are mighty and strong for each earth. And the first presidency, who uh, make it 15 in total, so the Father, the Son, and the Witness, are, whole, are mighty and strong under the direction of Jehovah our Elohim. So for this earth, that's Jehovah or Jehovah our Elohim. The, the God the Father or Creator is Michael, who became Adam. And then the Redeemer was Yeshua, who the Gentiles called Jesus Christ. And God the Witness, who is the bearer of light and truth, which in Latin is Lucifer. In Hebrew, it's Hillel. It's the Ruach HaKodesh, the set-apart spirit of God. So Lucifer rebels, along with others of the, uh, the quorum of the mighty and strong ones, and a third of the host of heaven. After they are cast out, the father went among the the those who are left from the mighty and strong ones and chose me to take the wit, uh, place of the witness or God the witness, the Holy Ghost. He chose others from the noble and great ones who are like the 70s to fill the quorum of the 12 mighty and strong ones. 
Joseph Smith was among those who were mighty and strong. Okay. Um, <laughs> in fact, I remember turning and looking at Heavenly Father and saying, because I thought that Joseph Smith was God the witness. And there's like, they contradict section 130 and, and a bunch of other stuff. And Joseph Smith said that God the witness was still a spiritual body waiting to take himself a body to come to do the same. Excuse me, that baby gate needs to be closed. You better get him before he goes through. We have stairs in the south and the two-year-old and the eight-year-old forgot to close the baby gate. Anyway, so Joseph Smith said that God the witness or the Holy Ghost had to come and take a body to, to high to come to do the same or similar things that Jesus did. And when it finally dawned on to me that I was the one that was chosen to take the place out of the quorum of the mighty and strong ones to take the place of God the witness, I looked at Heavenly Father and I just said, am I the witness? And it was like, oh, you're finally starting to understand I mean, just the look on his face, and he just smiles at me, and he says, well, it has to be somebody, and I was just, like, dumbfounded. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, and uh, I do have the keys of the kingdom and the priesthood, and uh, that was in January of 2013, and then in July of 2013, God told me to use the keys that he's given me to sever the power of all the holy people or the priesthood and all the ordinances. And I asked why, and he said, if they will not accept you as my witness, I will not accept them, and neither will my son. Speaking of Jesus Christ. So I did as I was commanded in Bliss, Idaho, near the Snake River, and uh, I told my aunt about it, and she thought that was pretty interesting. And then about a month later, she says, you know how you told me about that? Well, I was reading in Daniel chapter 12, and you fulfilled prophecy. And I was like, what are you talking about? And that's when I came in contact with the prophecy of Daniel in Daniel chapter 12 about the man clothed in linen scattering the power of all the holy people in the last days which if you translated it correctly, would say severing the priesthood of all the holy people in the last days. So God has uh, chosen me to be a narrow gate by which to come through. And uh, those who will receive the ordinances under my hand will come through the gate. And those who will not accept me as the witness will not come through the gate. So, anyway, um, I guess we're just going to be done with the program for tonight. Um, is there anything that you want to say, Kim? Oh, she's not on. How about you, Emma? No, just what you were saying earlier about, uh, oh, I don't remember. It was uh, not very long ago either. Um, just Do you remember that guy? Funny. Do you remember that guy in Nauvoo that came up to me and was like, I know exactly who you are. The old guy? The missionary guy? The old guy, yeah. yeah. What do you remember about it? Uh, I just remember the conversation you guys had for a couple of seconds. 
Other so than that, I, don't remember, that. I remember watching the play. No, I just remember like a couple of seconds of the conversation. Oh, and you remember him coming down and grabbing me by the hand and all crying and stuff? Yeah, I do remember that. Um? What? Go away, Amberly. Other than that, the only thing I remember about that was I remember watching the play. Do you remember the waitress in Carthage that was like, I know you guys? No. Not. Okay. You do remember the black, the old black man at the pool in Provo, though, and how he said that he saw light came, coming out of me. Yeah, Jeff, I think his name was. Jeffrey. Yes, and he was a mechanical engineer or a rocket scientist or some crazy thing. Aerospace engineer. <laughs> Something I don't know, but we used to have lots of conversations. And the day before, he was, an he was fun to talk to, and I really enjoyed his company. And we would go to the Provo Rec Center like every night after my job. And well, I got off my job around 8:30 at night, and we'd run over to Provo Rec Center and swim and sit in the hot tub and whatever. Um, the last night that I saw Jeffrey. He ran up to me. Well, he didn't run up to me. He came up to me quickly, and he's like, hey, i got to tell you something. And I was like, oh, okay. He says, so yesterday when you were talking about the things you were talking about, there was light coming out of you all around your head. And I was like, yeah, I don't know when people see that, but I can feel it when it happens, but I have no idea who sees it. Anyway. That was the last time we saw him. I think he was going up to INS in uh, Idaho or near Idaho Falls to the nuclear power station thing that they got going on up there. Or we never saw him again. But and the reason why I bring all these things up is because like a lot of people say, "Oh, you're just crazy. You're delusional. All these things." Maybe. If it wasn't for I all think you are of the crazy, things that have happened. <laughs> I'm not what? You are pretty crazy, but you're not delusional. <laughs> I might be crazy. Crazy, insane. Anyway, but, like, I just bring them up because, like, yeah, there's been a lot of these type of things that have happened to me, even more than my family knows. But my family does know about some of them. So it's nice to have second witnesses. So, anyway, I think we're going to be done with it for tonight. I'm not going to be back on tomorrow. I am done for the week. I am exhausted. I work uh, Saturday night through uh, uh, Thursday morning, and I'm just tired. Plus, my sister or my wife's sister is coming down from upstate Idaho, Sister-in-law. What did I say? Just thinking about that. <laughs> My wife's <Yeah>. sister. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am so tired. I Like this week, on uh, Saturday, I drove like nine or ten hours. And then um, I got up early and went to church. And then immediately after church, I went right to work, and I drove 14 hours. And then the next day, I drove 13 hours. And then the next day, I drove 13 hours, 
and then the next day I drove 12 hours. I think that's how it went. So I was, I'm just tired. And, um, and I really enjoy driving a truck. My wife wants me to quit and to not do that, but we have a farm and I like money and in order for us to have nice things and to have tractors and all the things that we need to run the farm, that takes and money. And this awesome hand Amberly, that we just bought. Eliza. Eliza, can you please go turn on the air conditioner? Yeah, this air, this this wagon that my wife found for like $165 or something like that, it barely fit in the back of her car with all of the seats folded down so she has a hatchback. It's huge. And it is something that we've needed for a while. And she saw that it was on sale, and she got it. And that's why I work, because there's things that we need to run the farm, and it doesn't happen if I don't work. So it is what it is, and I enjoy working. I just get really tired. So no show tomorrow. We'll be back on probably Monday night with Chapter 2 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless. And goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.
school of the prophets, the first oath and covenant of the priesthood. All those who enter into the school of the prophets or the Relief Society shall have taken the oath and covenant of the priesthood upon them, which oath is done by raising both hands to the square and saying, O Father, unto thee I pledge my oath. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I will do all in my power to bring thy kingdom upon the earth. I covenant with thee that I will take thee as my law, and I will obey thy revelations unto me, whether they be revelations given to me or to another, but which are confirmed to me. It is 